guys and welcome back to Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. Please welcome back to the show, back by popular demand to celebrate our one year anniversary. The first star I ever brought on my podcast, Mr. Orson Welles. Mr. Welles comes back in three episodes guaranteed to chill our spines. In this first episode, he plays a man who is playing a game with a man. And it is a game of life or death. And it is called the most dangerous game. And in the second episode, we bring Mr. Orson Welles as the voice of the shadow. In this first episode, he plays Lamont. In the second episode, he plays Lamont Cranston, a man who ends up fading into the darkness as a shadow. In this first episode of The Shadow, we find Lamont and his faithful companion on vacation in Egypt. But unfortunately for Lamont, it's not a pleasant vacation for him and Miss Margot Lang. The two are going to conduct an experiment to see who is murdering people at the hospital. So, Miss Margot Lane ends up acting as a guinea pig and ends up in the hospital and gets chloroformed. And as she's on a table strapped down she sees a man coming out of the shadow a deranged man who has experiments that he's been working on he has a gelatin that eats human flesh and reincarnates itself as a real human and the human experiment ends up losing their lives after he finishes his cloning experiment and it is called the hospital murders and it appeared on the NBC thriller show The Shadow and in the second episode we welcome Mr. Orson Welles as the voice of the shadow once again this time he plays a man he plays the man Lamont Cranston Lamont and his girlfriend and partner Margot Lane go on a quest to hunt for a deranged kidnapper and the title of that episode is called The Creeper and 
on this last episode guys I do apologize if the audio is very low it was the golden age of Hollywood so they didn't have the best technical sound effects but nonetheless I hope you guys enjoy the show and also guys stay tuned for the a recap episode it's actually going to be four episodes instead of three this recap episode is to celebrate Mr. Orson Welles first appearance on our pod on my podcast as he plays in Miss Lucille Fletcher's suspense play The Hitchhiker I hope you guys enjoy Mr. Orson Welles and our his performance on the show for this evening if you like the show please comment and subscribe guys and enjoy the show thanks program suspense from Hollywood we bring you a star Mr. Orson Welles who this evening begins a four week engagement as guest at these proceedings in the interest of prime suspense Mr. Welles and the producer of this series have scheduled four radio stories which they feel are particularly distinguished in our chosen field the first of these is The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Gonnell and so with the performance of Orson Welles and the character of General Zaroff and Keenan Wynn as Sanger Rainsford, who learned from Zaroff what was the most dangerous game, we again hope to keep you in suspense. I'm going to kill him. It's him or me. And I'm going to do my best to make it him. Oh, maybe it sounds crazy to you. I guess it does. Would have sounded crazy to me a few days ago when I was with Whitney on the yacht. I was on a pleasure trip. <laughs> a pleasure trip? How, or I, how could I or anyone realize then the horror and torment I was to go through? How was I to know of Yvonne? And the death swamp? And the hounds? How was I to know of... Zaroff. Think of it. It was only four nights ago that the ship went down. We've been talking about this island, Ship Trap Island, Whitney said it was called on the charts. I was sleepy and started on down below to turn in. I was mixing myself a nightcap when I looked up and saw it. A tremendous reef racing at us out of the fog. I screamed out a warning, but it was too late. We were right upon it. The 
ship exploded right on top of Whitney and members of the crew. I alone was standing safe out on the prow, but the force of the explosion hurled me into the blood-warm waters. Terrified at the suddenness and surprise, my stomach weak and sick at the thought of the others. The sea was eddying furiously around the sinking remnants of the ship. And a certain cool-headedness came to me and made me swim desperately away. Or I might not have lived to go through the horror which was soon to come. I struck out to the right in the direction of the island about which Whitney had been telling me. I had no recollection of how long I swam, but all at once I heard the muttering and growling of the sea breaking on the rocky shore. With my remaining strength, I dragged myself from the swirling waters. All in, gasping, my hands raw, I at last reached a flat place at the top. I flung myself down at the jungle edge and tumbled headlong into the deepest sleep of my life. When I awoke, I was in a strange place, having no idea how I had got there. Well, Ivan, our friend seems to be awakening. I... Where, where is this? Where am I? Do not Where's be alarmed, my friend. My man Ivan found you out on the cliff and brought you here to be taken care of. Oh, well, thank God there's life on this island. I hardly believed. Few people do. Yes, <laughs> you aren't quite safe here in my castle, Mr. Uh, Rainsford. Yes. Rainsford. I'm Sanger Rainsford of New York. Rainsford? Sanger Rainsford? Yes. Well, it is indeed a very great pleasure and honor to welcome you, Mr. Sanger Rainsford. You're the celebrated hunter, are you not? Yes, yes. You know me? Uh, by reputation only. I've read your book about hunting snow leopards in Tibet, you see. My name is General Zaroff. I am not English, Mr. Rainsford, but I went to a good school. Perhaps you recognize the colors of my tie. Uh, no, it makes no difference. I've lived too long in the jungle to be a snob. Well, I... <laughs> I can't tell you how happy I am to meet you, General. And I can't tell you how happy I am to meet you, Mr. Rainsford. But come, we shouldn't be chatting here. We can talk later. You must be hungry. Yes, I am, rather. <laughs> what? Uh, Ivan thought you'd like a robe. He's drying your clothes for you. Oh, thank you. Ivan's an incredibly strong fellow, but you mustn't mind his looks. His ears were cut off in battle, and he has the misfortune to be deaf and dumb. He is sensitive about his appearance. A simple fellow, really, but I'm afraid a bit savage. Oh? He's been in our family for years. <laughs> Follow Ivan, if you please, Mr. Rainsford. I was about to have my luncheon just before you awoke. We can have it together now. Does the robe fit you all right? Oh, yes, yes, perfectly, thanks. I'm so glad. You uh, have quite a collection of heads here. Lions, tigers, mm. elephants, moose, bears. Oh, I don't believe I've ever seen a more perfect specimen. They are nice. I take great pride in them. You have good cause. Coming from you, Mr. Rainsford, that is a great compliment. And here we are. You sit over there. Thank you. Not at all. Right, Ivan. <laughs> we do our best to preserve the amenities of civilization here. Please forgive my lapses. Oh, of course. Yes. Well off the beaten track, you know. Shushu. 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 This is my little pet, Mr. Rainsford. As a hunting falcon, Shushu is of no further usefulness in the field. But I'm fond of its company. My not little sweetheart. <laughs> Patience, my darling. I know you're hungry, my dear. We hunt tonight. 
Your, uh, your heads are really remarkable, General. Mm. That, uh, that Cape Buffalo is the largest I've ever seen. Ah, it's that fellow. He's a monster. Mm. Did he charge you? Hurled me against a tree, fractured my skull, left me the scar. And I got the brute. <laughs> I've, uh, I've always thought the Cape Buffalo is the most dangerous of all games. Oh, uh, no, no. You're wrong. Wrong, sir. The Cape Buffalo is not the most dangerous game. Ivan, the wine. Uh, how does he understand you? He reads my lips. Think you like this champagne, Mr. Rainsford? Ivan chills it expertly. Uh, no, no, the, the Cape Buffalo is not the most dangerous game. Here in my preserve on this island, I hunt more dangerous game. Oh, well, is there a big game on this island? The biggest. Oh, really? Oh, it isn't here naturally, of course. I have to stock the island. Uh, what have you imported, General? Uh, jaguars? Jaguars. I hope you like filet mignon, Mr. Ray. I do very much, thank you. Uh, is it jaguars, General? No, 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 no. Hunting jaguars ceased to interest me some years ago. I exhausted their possibilities, you see. I... No thrill left in jaguars, you understand? No real danger. I live for danger, Mr. Rainsford. <clears throat> we will have some capital hunting. You and I. I shall be most glad to have your company. Yes, but I'll okay. you, you'll be amused, I know. I think you may say in all modesty that I've done a rare thing. Yes, I've invented a new sensation. May I pour you another glass of champagne, Mr. Rainsford? Thank you, General. God makes some men poets. Some he makes kings, some beggars. Me, he made a hunter. My hand was made for the trigger. My father once said that. Made for the trigger. My whole life has been one prolonged hunt. I've hunted every kind of game in every land. It'd be impossible for me to tell you how many animals I've killed. Grizzlies in your Rockies, crocodiles in the Ganges, rhinoceroses in East Africa. It's in Africa, by the way. That Cape Buffalo hit me and laid me up for six months. Mm. As soon as I recovered, I started for the Amazon to hunt jaguars, for I'd heard they were unusually cunning. <laughs> they weren't. They were no match at all for a hunter with his wits about him, the high-powered rifle. I was bitterly disappointed. I was lying in my tent with a splitting headache one night, and a terrible thought pushed its way into my head. Hunting was beginning to bore me. And hunting, remember, had been my life. I've heard that in America, businessmen often go to pieces when they give up the business that's been their life. Yes, yes, that's uh, so. Uh, I had no wish to go to pieces. <laughs> I, I, I must do something. Uh, now, mine is an analytical mind, Mr. Rainsford. Doubtless... That is why I enjoy the problems of the chase. Oh, no doubt, General. So I ask myself why the hunt no longer fascinated me. You are much younger than I am, Mr. Rainsford, and have not hunted as much, but you perhaps can guess the answer. Well, what is it? Simply this. Hunting had ceased to be what you call a sporting proposition. It had become too easy. I always got my quarry. Always. It's no greater bore than perfection. Cigarette? No, no thank you. Uh, no animal had a chance with me anymore. Not a chance. That is no boast. It is a mathematical certainty. The animal had nothing but his legs and his instinct. Instinct is no match for reason. When I thought of this, it was a tragic moment for me, I can tell you. It came to me as an inspiration. What I must do. And that was? 
I had to invent a new animal to hunt. A new animal? Well, you're joking. Not at all. I never joke about hunting. I needed a new animal. I found one. So I bought this island, built this castle, and here I do my hunting. The island's perfect for my purposes. There are jungles with a maze of trails in them. Hills, swamps... Yes, but the animal... The animal generals are... It surprised me with the most exciting hunting in the world. No other hunting compares with it for an instant. Every day I hunt. I never grow bored now. For I have a quarry with which I can match my wits. Yes, but you still have I wanted the ideal animal to hunt, so I said... What are the attributes of an ideal quarry? And the answer was, of course, it must have courage, cunning, and above all, it must be able to reason. Well, no animal can reason. There is one that can. One? But you can't mean... And why not? Well, I... I can't believe you're serious, General Zaroff. You're just joking. Joking? I'm quite serious. Speaking about hunting. Hunting? You're speaking about murder. Oh, dear me, that unpleasant word. I think I can show you that your scruples are quite ill-founded. Yes? I hunt the scum of the earth. Sailors from tramp ships, lascars, japs, mongrels, a thoroughbred horse, a... Hound is worth more than a score of them. But these are men. Precisely, that is why I use them. It gives me pleasure. They can reason after a fashion, so they are dangerous. But where do you get them? We visit my training school. It's in the cellar. I have about a dozen pupils down there now. They're from the Spanish park San Lucar that had the bad luck to go to the rocks up there. A very inferior lot, I regret to say. Poor specimens, more accustomed to the deck than to the jungle. Another glass? No. It's a game, you see. It's a sort of game. I, I suggest to one of them that we go hunting. I give him a supply of food and uh, an excellent hunting knife. I give him three hours start. I am to follow, armed only with a pistol of the smallest caliber and range. If my quarry eludes me for three whole days... He wins the game. If I find him, he loses. Suppose he refuses to be hunted. Oh, I give him his choice, of course. He need not play that game if he does not wish to. If he does not wish to hunt, I turn him over to Ivan. Mm, Ivan once had the honor of serving as official knouter to my old king... And he has his own ideas of sport. Invariably, Mr. Rainsford, invariably they choose the hunt. And if they win? To date, I have not lost. I do not wish you to think me a braggart, Mr. Rainsford. Many of them afford only the most elementary sort of problem, I assure you. Occasionally, I strike a tartar. <laughs> she, she remembers the tartar, don't you, Doctor? Yes, he almost did win. I eventually had to use the hounds. See? Wait a moment. I'll open the window. Hello, boys! 
Rather good lot, I think. They're let out at seven every night. If anyone should try to get into my castle or out of it, something extremely regrettable would occur to me. Uh, but enough of this. Come, I'll show you a collection of heads I'm quite sure you've never seen before. Join me in the library for coffee. I uh, hope that you will excuse me tonight, General. Oh. I, I'm really not feeling well at all. Indeed. I know what it is. My old complaint. <laughs> Aren't you we boredom? You need some excitement. Tonight we'll hunt. Hey, Mr. Rainford. You and I. You're wrong, General. I won't hunt. I won't murder. As you wish, my friend. The choice rests entirely with you. But may I not venture to suggest that you will find my idea of sport more diverting than Ivan's? <laughs> my dear fellow. You don't mean that you plan to hunt me. My dear fellow. Have I not told you? I always mean what I say about hunting. This is really an inspiration. I drink to a foeman worthy of my steel at last. I simply can't believe this must be some sort of dream. You'll find the game worth playing, Mr. Rainsford. Think of it, your brain against mine, your woodcraft against mine, your strength, your stamina against mine. Outdoor chess. <laughs> and the stake is not without value, eh? And if I win... I'll cheerfully acknowledge myself defeated if I do not find you by midnight of the third day. My sloop will place you on the mainland near a town. Well, you can trust me. I'll give you my word as a gentleman and a sportsman. Of course, you in turn must agree to say nothing of your visit here. I will agree to nothing of the kind. Oh. Well, in that case... But why discuss that now? Uh, three days hence, we can discuss it over a bottle of Vuftricot, unless, uh... Well, your choice, Mr. Rainsford. I'm a hunter. You know my choice. Mm -hmm. Elon here will supply you with hunting clothes, food, and knife. I suggest you wear moccasins. They leave a poorer trail. I suggest, too, that you avoid the big swamp in the southeast corner of the island. We call it Death Swamp. There's quicksand there. Well, I must beg you to excuse me now. We always take our siesta after our lunch. Don't we, Shushu? <laughs> Come, my little pet. You'll hardly have time for a nap, I fear, Mr. Rainsford. Uh, you, you'll want a start, of course. I shall not follow till dusk. Hunting at night is so much more exciting than by day, don't you think? <clears throat> well, au revoir, Mr. Rainsford. Au revoir. I... <laughs> I'd fought my way through the bush for two hours, repeating to myself over and over again, I must keep my nerve, I must keep my nerve. My whole idea at first was to put distance between myself and General Zarov. And to this end, I had plunged along through the thicket spurred on by the sharp rowls of something very much like panic. Now I had got a grip on myself. I'd stopped. I was taking stock of the situation. I saw that straight flight was futile. Inevitably, it would bring me face to face with the sea. Well, I'll give him a trail, I muttered. And I struck off from the rude path I had been following and into the trackless wilderness. I made a series of intricate loops. I doubled back on my trail again and again, recalling all the lore of the fox hunt, all the dodges of the fox. 
Night found me exhausted, my hands and face lashed by the branches on a thickly wooded ridge. My need for rest was imperative, and I thought, I played the fox, now I must play the cat of the fable. A big tree with a thick trunk and outspread branches was nearby, and taking care not to leave the slightest mark, I climbed up and stretched out among the broad limbs. Rest brought me new confidence and almost a feeling of security. Even so expert a hunter as General Zaroff cannot face me here, I assured myself. An apprehensive night crawled slowly by, my mind keenly alert for any sound, any warning. Towards the dawn, an instinct I never knew existed, like an animal must possess, and held me to look far off in the distance in a westerly direction. Sure enough, following the trail with the sureness of a bloodhound came General Zaroff. Nothing escaped those searching black eyes. No crushed blade of grass, no bent twig, no mark, no matter how fine in the moss. My heart pounding furiously, I slid down quickly from the tree and struck off again into the woods. I knew I had to do something desperate. I knew that I had little time in which to do it. But 300 yards from my hiding place, I stopped where a huge dead tree leaned precariously on a smaller living one. Throwing off my sack of food, I took my knife from its sheath and began to work with all my energy. The job was finished at last. And I threw myself down behind a fallen log 300 feet away. I did not have to wait long. make a Malay man-catcher. Luckily for me, I too have hunted in Malacca. You are proving interesting, Mr. Rainsford. Mm. Very interesting. The tree brushed my shoulders. I jumped back. I'm going to have a wound rest. So it's slight. But I shall be back, Mr. Rainsford. I shall be back. It was flight now, a desperate, hopeless flight that carried me on for hours. I don't know where I got the strength. I kept telling myself over and over again that I must keep my nerve. That I was competing with a monster, a super huntsman. Dusk came, then darkness, and still I managed to press on. The ground grew softer under my moccasins. The vegetation grew ranker and denser. Insects bit at me savagely. Suddenly, as I stepped forward, my foot sank into the ooze. I tried to wrench it back, but the muck sucked viciously at my foot like a giant leech. With a violent effort, I tore my foot loose. I knew where I was then. Death swamp and its quicksand. But the softness of the earth had given me an idea. I stepped back from the quicksand a dozen feet or so and began to dig. When the pit was above my shoulders, I climbed out and from some hard saplings cut stakes and sharpened them to fine points. These stakes I planted in the bottom of the pit with the points sticking upwards. As fast as I could, I wove a rough carpet of weeds and branches and with it covered the mouth of the pit. 
and wet with sweat and aching with tiredness, I crouched behind the stump of a lightning-charmed tree. Oh, I knew Zaroff was coming. I could hear the paddling sound of his feet on the soft earth. Zaroff was coming, and coming fast. He was not feeling his way along, foot by foot. Crouching there, I could neither see him nor see the pit. I lived a year and a minute, frozen, every muscle tensed. I shinnied up a tree and looked back. My pursuers had stopped all right, but the hope that had been in my brain when I climbed died. For in the shallow valley, I saw that General Zaroff was still on his feet, but I was not. Apparently, he had come along to hold the hounds. The knife, driven by the recoil of the springing tree, had splintered through his chest. I'd hardly tumbled to the ground when the pack took up the cry again. Nerve, 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 I panted as I dashed down. A blue gap showed between the trees dead ahead. The hounds were almost on top of me. I forced myself on towards that gap. I reached it. It was the shore of the sea. Across the cove, I could see the gloomy gray stone of the castle. Twenty feet below me, the sea rumbled and hissed. I hesitated. I heard the hounds. Then I leaped far out into the sea. safe in the general's bedroom waiting for him. Three days are up, and I've eluded him. But now I must go further. In a moment, we will meet, he and I, and he will be unarmed. Only one of us is going to live. You understand that now. Oh, 
through. Show us through. You must be patient, dear. You must forgive me. You're hungry, I know. <laughs> Shoot. French. Gentlemen. French. How on earth did you get it? Uh, swam. I found it easier and quicker than walking through the jungle. I congratulate you. Strong. You've won the game. Oh, no, General. I'm still a beast at bay here. Get ready, General Zaroff. Swords? Yes, two of them. I see. Oh, very good. Very good, Rainsford. One of us, then, is to furnish a repast for the hounds. The other will sleep in this... this very excellent bed. <laughs> excellent. On guard, Rainsford. My late host said it would be a very excellent bed. And so closes The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell, starring Orson Welles, tonight's tale of... Suspense. Mr. Wells was General Zaroff and Keenan Wynne Rainsford. This is your narrator, the man in black, who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense next week, same time, when Orson Wells will again be our star in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Lost Special. The producer of suspense is William Spear, who tonight also directed the broadcast. And who with Bernard Herman, the conductor, Lucian Malowick, who composed the original score, and Private Jacques Anson Fink, the radio author, collaborated on tonight's suspense.
Ladies and gentlemen, before we join the shadow, let me ask you this. Do you realize that before Goodrich developed the amazing skid protection of its new Silvertown tire, they tested tread designs by the hundred for two long years? Endless testing, checking, and comparing. It was a battle of wits against wet roads, dry roads, and hairpin curves. Until finally, they developed a tread that will stop you quicker, safer on a wet pavement than you've ever stopped before. And that tread, motorists, is the lifesaver tread, found only on the new Goodrich Silvertown. Its never-ending spiral bars act like a whole battery of windshield wipers. They sweep the water right and left, force it out through the deep drainage grooves, make a dry track for the rubber to grip. Yet remember, even though this new Goodrich Silvertown costs many thousands of dollars to design and build, even though it gives you the famous golden ply blowout protection in the bargain, there is no extra cost. Play safe. Start riding on these life-saving Goodrich Silvertowns before it's too late. The shadow, Lamont Cranston, a man of wealth, a student of science, and a master of other people's minds, devotes his life to righting wrongs, protecting the innocent, and punishing the guilty. Cranston is known to the underworld as the shadow. Never seen, only heard, his true identity is known only to his constant friend and aide, Margot Lane. Today's story, The Hospital Murder. Lamont, what's it all about? Margot, my dear, yours not to reason why. Yours but to make those pretty feet of yours walk fast enough to keep up with me. Yes, but I thought this trip to Egypt was to be a vacation. No more work. No more excitement. <laughs> no more excitement for about two weeks and you'd be having me cut out paper dollies. <laughs> Here we are. Cairo General Hospital. Come on, watch these steps. Will you please tell me what it's all about? Oh, I know. If Dr. Rawling phoned the hotel and asked me to go here as fast as I could, so here we are. But who is Dr. Rawlin, and, and what's he got to do with you? Doc Rawling is in charge of this place, old friend of the family. Hmm. It's quiet even for the hospital, isn't it? I don't like it, Lamont. Wait out here for me, Margot. I'll call you if I want to. All right, Lamont. Oh, Lamont. Lamont Cranston. Hello, Dr. Rawling. Oh, come in. Come in, do. Oh, I'm so glad to see you, my boy. What's it all about, Doctor? Cranston, our families in America are friends. Perhaps you can help me. There's no one else here I can trust. I don't know where to turn. Wait a minute, Doctor. Wait a minute. How can I help you when I don't know what it's all about? Well, can you calm down? Tell me the story. Start where you left off when you phoned me this morning. Oh, yes, yes. I'll tell you everything. Cranston, three of my patients have disappeared. What? Yes, three of them in the last three days. Disappeared right out of the hospital. Well, why don't you go to your Cairo police? Oh, no, no, not the police. The publicity would ruin the reputation of the hospital if this word got around. Cranston, can you help me? No, Doctor, tell me this. How do you know those patients didn't just walk out? Oh, they couldn't. They were bedridden, every one of them. There's no doubt they were kidnapped out of their bed, and the devil only knows why. It is impossible. But it's true, I tell you, true, Cranston, and it's driving me crazy. I, I can't eat, I can't sleep. All I can see is those empty beds. Oh, you're clever, Cranston. Perhaps you can help us. We could trust you, Mr. Kruger and I. We both agreed on that. Mr. Kruger? Who's Kruger? The head of our board of trustees. He and I... Well, we've kept this horrible thing that's been happening from getting into the newspaper. When did the first patient disappear? Three days ago. Then another disappeared, and another. Oh. 
Cranston, you've got to help us stop this terror before someone before someone important disappears. In other words, the three patients who have disappeared up to date weren't very important, is that it? Oh, no, just natives. Who were they? Well, the first was an Egyptian beggar boy with a broken leg. He had a fracture Never of Never mind the diagnosis. Who disappeared next? An old woman from the bazaar. Broken hip. I tell you, she couldn't have moved a step without help. The third? Last night, a Senghalese in one of the French boats. What's wrong with him? Fractured shoulder. In other words, none of the patients were constitutionally ill. Oh, no, no, they they had no disease, if that's what you mean. And what have you done to prevent any more such disappearances? Have you posted guards? Oh, yes, yes, indeed, all over the hospital. But I tell you, Cranston, I'm afraid. Now, I'm not a superstitious man, but I swear to you there's something supernatural about all this, something not of this world. A strange way for a doctor to talk, Rowling. But it must have been something supernatural. They've disappeared, just disappeared. Three living people. Take it easy, Doctor. Oh, gone, Take I tell you. Easy. Gone into thin air, and I'm responsible, Cranston. I tell you, if another one disappears... Oh, now, what is... Uh, yes. Come quickly. Well, what is it? It's happened again, Doctor, again. The girl in room 11, she disappeared. Hurry, Doctor, oh, hurry. the girl is gone. The girl gone. Kidnapped. Now, you see for yourself, Cranston. The bed's empty. Now, when this gets out, we're ruined... My 20 years' work here, gone for nothing. Ruin, ruin. Dr. Roy, for heaven's sake, pull yourself together. Can't sell anything with hysteria. Who's the patient in this room? What is the name? Now, you didn't believe me when I told you it was something supernatural. But now you'll have to believe me. You will. It'll get them all, all our patients. They'll all die. Doctor, stop that. They'll close up the hospital and they'll blame me, me. Stop it, I tell you. No one's blaming you yet. Who is this patient? Another native? No, no. That's what makes it so horrible. This patient was a 16-year-old daughter of the French consul. A young girl? Yes. A guard below the window, a guard in front of the door, and yet she's gone. Gone. It's the end of everything, I tell you. It's the end I of everything. What's going on here? Mr. Kruger, look. Look, it's happened again. The consul's daughter gone. Oh, impossible. She's gone, I tell you. Gone, gone. Look for yourself. Heaven help us. If you men will take my advice, you'll call in your local police. Eh? Oh, who are you? Lamont Cranston is the name. Oh, yes, yes, Mr. Truger. It's, it's Lamont Cranston, my, my friend from America. Make him help us, Mr. Truger. Make him. Control yourself, Doctor. There may be a very simple explanation for these disappearances. Yes, a very simple, rational explanation that Doctor. We... Yes. Mr. Kruger. Or this window, quickly. Well, well, what is it, Cranston? What did you see out of the window? Mr. Kruger just said there may be a simple and harmless explanation for all these disappearances. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Then look out there on the fire escape. Kruger, look. It's the orderly. The orderly we put out there to guard the room. He's dead. He's dead. And we'll all die. We'll all die. Stop. It's fainting. <sighs> Cold. Yes, it's his heart. He's had trouble with it. All this but excitement. Yes, yes, he'll be all right. Just needs quiet. Let me help you lift him onto the bed. Oh, thank you. Here, just right over here. Thank you very much. I'll ring for an intern. Anything else I can do, Mr. Kruger? Oh, I don't think so. Thank you. Dr. Rawlings must have expert attention immediately. Then perhaps it'll be better if I leave you. Uh, yes, Mr. Cranston. I'll see Dr. Rawlings again when he's recovered. All right, Mr. Cranston. Don't worry about him. He'll be all right. Goodbye, Cranston. I hope so. Goodbye, Mr. Kruger. Goodbye. Oh, Margot. Yes, Lamont. Four people have disappeared. A guard has been murdered with a six-inch knife in his throat. Oh. Margot, it seems another mystery challenges my attention as the shadow. Margot. 
hospital up ahead. Lamonde, are you sure your scheme will work? I know it's a dangerous undertaking. Well, especially for you. Yes, but we agreed that there was no other way in which to find out how all these people disappeared from the I hospital. I know, Margot. The, the shadow has got to be doubly watchful. I have every faith in you, Lamont. I, I hope it isn't misplaced this time. Well, I'm not worried about that. Stop here, Margot. All right, Lamont. Now, remember what I told you. Head straight for that lamppost in the front of the hospital. I know. Cut your wheel so you sideswipe the fender. It'll make noise enough to bring the emergency squad out of the place. Yes, but they'll see I'm not hurt right away. Oh, no, they won't. You slump over the steering wheel. After you cracked your head on the windshield and call it a concussion. Hope you're right. If I'm wrong, then you won't get a free bed tonight and a chance to act as decoy for one of those body snatchers. Well, see you in the hospital. Before I leave you, good luck and be careful. You don't know what we're getting into. Thanks, Lamont. I'll be careful. Woman. She's dead. Doctor, here comes the doctor. Yeah, yeah, let me through, let me through, let me through. Oh, she's yeah. now cold. Sure is lucky, crashing in front of a hospital. Doctor, is she dead? No, I don't think so. Jim, hurry, get a stretcher. Okay, now. We've got to get this girl to the hospital right away. Well, here I am, an inmate of Cairo General Hospital. Your plan certainly worked, Lamont. Yes, almost too well. Are you sure you're all right, Margot? I saw you crash the car into the lamppost. I was afraid you'd overdone the accident and hurt yourself. <laughs> it did shake me up a bit, but I'm all right now. Yes. Wind's very strong tonight, isn't it? Oh, it's welcome, though. This bed's inclined to be warm. Wind from the desert and those body snatchers are quite welcome to come in that window, aren't they? Do you really think someone will come in here after me? Two others were kidnapped out of this room. Oh. Nervous? A little. I guess it's it's not knowing just just what will come through that window. Well, I'm going to leave you now. Must you? Yes, I look around outside. Whoever intends to make you the fifth victim will meet the shadow. Wonder what time it is. Wonder if Lamont will come back. So dark. Like being buried alive in a tomb. Buried alive. Wonder what it would be like to wake up in a coffin. No, I, I mustn't think of such things. Why doesn't Lamont come back? I wonder if anything will happen. Except Dr. Rowland said it would be something supernatural. It could be. Egypt. They say anything can happen here. I, I heard something. No. No, it's quiet. Quiet as the inside of a tomb. Why do I keep thinking about tombs? Tombs, Egypt, mummies. They do run together. Oh, the wind's gone. So quiet. Too quiet. What if that doctor was right? What if there were something from another world that was 
something is coming toward me in the dark. Something coming toward me. What is it? Getting closer. Closer. What will it be? Man? Ghost? I've never been afraid. Won't be afraid now. Closer. Closer. Oh, where are you? Ladies and gentlemen, before we continue with the Shadow's exciting adventure, listen to this. Recognize it? That's the sound of a car as a desperate motorist is jammed on the brakes in an emergency. The Shadow knows when you have to stop in an emergency, you have to stop fast. That's why I urge you to replace smooth, worn tires with the new Goodrich Safety Silvertowns. Because the new Silvertown Lifesaver Tread is so amazingly different that it gives you the quickest stops you've ever had on any road, wet or dry, curved or straight. And here's proof that the new Silvertown is in a class by itself. An exhaustive road test made by the impartial Pittsburgh Testing Laboratory of the regular and premium priced tires of America's six largest tire manufacturers, here's what happened. The new Goodrich Silvertown gave greater skid resistance than any other tire tested. And the tires included tires listed at 40% to 70% higher in price. For your sake, for your family's sake, make it a point to get a demonstration of the amazing Lifesaver tread in action. Discover what it means to be saved by a Silvertown stop. And remember, the new Goodrich Silvertown offers you both Lifesaver tread skid protection and Golden Ply blowout protection at no extra cost. Work matters. My work. You will see. 
You will see. You, whoever you are, come back here. Come back here. No, no, do not be impatient. I will show you my work. I will show you. An operating table? A black man strapped on. Why? Now you will see. Yes, now you will see my glory. Sengli is off the French boat. You stole him from the hospital, too. But why? What are you going to do with him? You will see. <laughs> yes, you will see. Uh, you hear the black one regains his senses. <laughs> How unfortunate for him. <laughs> Those knives. You madman. What are you going to do to him? Black legs. Strong black legs. No, you wouldn't. But I will. Look at this. Do you see this bottle? Liquid in it is green, beautiful green. Listen to it sing. What is it? Listen to it. Yes, yes, my beautiful liquid. Soon I will feed you flesh to grow on flesh. You will not fail me, will you, my beautiful? What is it? What's in that bottle? Yes, yes, I will tell you why not. What harm can you do to me strapped there? You see in this bottle green liquid. I see in it an alchemy of the flesh that will change the world. This, this is the catalyst that grows flesh on flesh. <laughs> and with this I can graft human flesh to human flesh instantaneously. No, it can't be done. And I tell you it can instantaneously. His flesh to mine, your flesh to mine. Come on. I tell you, I can take his black leg and graft it on in place of yours. I can take your leg and put it on me. And they won't laugh at me behind my back then. And they won't call me peg leg and limpy. <laughs> yes, I'll laugh at them. All of them, the whole sneering, snibbling pack of them. Ah, listen. The black sailor awakens quickly. I have time only for another word. I put flesh to flesh an amputated leg to a raw, bleeding stump. Then an injection of my beautiful green liquid. Through the bloodstream it races. Flesh cells eagerly join the new flesh cells. In a moment, two moments, three moments. Ah, the miracle is done. Old flesh has joined the new flesh. Lamont, you said you'd be here. To whom do you speak? To me. I have no time for words. My work. Lying there, you will see the miracle. <laughs> yes, you will see. No, come back here. Loosen these straps. Lamont, Lamont, where are you? <laughs> Almost completely awake, eh, my black friend? Oh, oh, such a pity. I cannot give you an anesthetic this time. But my beautiful liquid will not work when the patient has been drugged. White man, what do you do, white man? What'd you do? Lamont, Lamont, where uh, are you? Tonight. What'd you do, Edmund? <laughs> your leg. Your right leg, a good, strong leg. No, 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 my leg, no. Another no, my leg. Give him another Shadow. Drop that knife, Kruger. Who? Who spoke my name? My mask, you ripped it off my face. You are Kruger. Respectable Mr. Kruger, chairman of the board of trustees of the hospital. I, I, I hear the voice. I see no one. Loosen the straps around you, Margot. Ah, the straps around you, woman. They loosen how? Why? The answer to that is in your own ears, Kruger. The voice again. The voice of a shadow. A shadow which asks one question. Why have you murdered? My right leg, never any good. Kruger is my name. But they've all had other names for me behind my back. 
Limpy, they called me Limpy and Pegleg, but I'll show them, I'll show them all. My discovery will put a strong leg on my body soon, and voices in the air won't stop me. There's more than a voice now. Look straight ahead, Kruger. Eyes. Two eyes glaring at me from midair. See how the light glitters in these eyes. Look deep in them, Kruger. Eyes. I tell you, you want to look in my eyes. In them you see wonders. Wonders you never dreamed about. Look, Kruger. I... I don't see what... See, see how the light glitters in those eyes. Look deep in them, Kruger. Deep in them. They burn deep in your eyes, Kruger. Deep, deep. Yes, deep. Deep in your mind. And they take away your will, Kruger. Take away your will. Yes. Yes. My will is your will, Kruger. My will, your will. No, 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 I won't. I, I work to do. The work will wait, Kruger. You wanted to wait. All you want to do now is look in my eyes. My will. Your will. My will. Your will. I, I don't know. I... Sleepy. You get very sleepy. Sleepy. Your hand is sleepy. Hand is Your hand, sleepy. it opens. It opens and lets the knife fall to the floor. You hear me, Kruger? Open. Open. Margot, you all right? Yes, I'm all right. But the Negro... Unconscious. Kruger, what have you done with the other people you kidnapped out of the hospital? I used them for my experiments. They are all dead. How horrible. All right, Kruger, you can wake up now. Wake up! Ah! Without a knife in your hand, you're quite harmless, aren't you, Kruger? Those eyes. They're gone. There's nobody here. I am still here, though you cannot see me. You, you hypnotized me. Yes, and I say again, I wish I could have done it sooner. Yes, but how? Who, who are you? They call me the Shadow. Shadow what? The name of a man who tries to right a few of the world's wrongs. I am not afraid of you. I'll kill you. You won't hypnotize me again. I'll kill you. Stay back. I'll kill you. Oh, no, you won't, you poor fool. You're coming with me. I'm not going to judge you. I'll let a jury of your peers do that. No. No, my work. I've got to go on with my work. Come with me, Kruger. No, 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 let go of me. Hands out of the air, let go. Come quietly, Kruger. No. No, you're struggling, you see. You haven't got a chance against me. No. No, no let go of me, let go. All right, uh, I'll drag you along. No. All the fiendish murderers. No, 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 let go of me. Oh, my work. I've got to go on with my work. Look out! Uh, the lamp! The oh. ha, ha! I made you let go! I made you let go! Margot! Margot, look out! The oil from the lamp! The flame is going to catch it! Run! You'll never get me! Not me! <laughs> Oh, he's dead all right, and all the rest of them. I never saw a hotter fire. There must have been plenty of inflammables in there. All sorts of liquids. Well, what I can't understand is why some of the bodies were all cut up. It's more than I can figure out. But two got out of it alive, Chief. At least they think so. What? Two alive? Out of there? Sure, Chief. 
Right after the explosion, as some say that a man and a woman run out. Uh, who were they? No one seems to know exactly. They couldn't see him clear. But they say the man, he was, he was more like, well, like a shadow. Yes, a shadow. Yes, he's right, Margot. We did get away. Strange. We come halfway across the world for a vacation, and then this. A poor, deluded creature who thought he could bring himself happiness through murder. He gave others a horrible death, but he died a far more horrible one. No, Margot, there's never any profit in murder. It always brings its own reward. I wonder... I wonder if Kruger understands that now. You have been listening to a dramatized version of one of the many copyrighted stories which appear in the Shadow Magazine, now on sale at your local newsstand. and all the places named are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental.
who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. <laughs> the shadow knows. Ladies and gentlemen, the Shadow's latest adventure starts in just a moment. Right now, I want to tell you about a new kind of tire that will stop you quicker, safer on wet, slippery roads than you've ever stopped before. It's the new Goodrich Safety Silvertown with the amazing lifesaver tread that actually dries wet roads. Impartial tests made by the independent Pittsburgh Testing Laboratory prove this fact beyond dispute. Not one of the regular or premium price tires of America's six largest tire manufacturers came up to the new Goodrich Silvertown in resistance to skid. These exhaustive tests also prove that the new Silvertown averaged 19.1% more non-skid mileage than any other tire tested in its own price range, which means you get every six mile free. Equip your car with Goodrich Safety Silvertown. Then you'll know what it means to be saved by a Silvertown stop. The shadow, Lamont Cranston, a man of wealth, a student of science, and a master of other people's minds, devotes his life to righting wrongs, protecting the innocent, and punishing the guilty. Using advanced methods that may ultimately become available to all law enforcement agencies, Cranston is known to the underworld as the shadow. Never seen, only heard, as haunting to superstitious minds as a ghost, as inevitable as a guilty conscience. The Shadow's true identity is known only to his constant friend and aide, Margot Lane. Today's story, The Creeper. Nobody will ever find you. Nobody will ever find you. <laughs> and you won't be lonely. There are other fine young ladies like yourself for I'm taking you. They were rich and beautiful too. One. <laughs> one. over here to my apartment at this time of the morning. I've just learned that something's happened to one of my dearest friends, Edith Day. Edith Day? I remember her, Margot. Came out two seasons ago. Isn't she that beautiful little dark-haired girl I met the Allenders? Yes, that's the one, Lamont. Her mother just told me she's frantic, terrified. Now, Margot, suppose you compose yourself and tell me exactly what's wrong. Just as Margot Lane, my assistant in criminal investigation, would do is to someone who 
meant nothing to you. This is such a shock, Lamont. Edith's missing. Missing? Yes, she disappeared from her bedroom last night. There was time for a struggle. Where's the house located? In the Mayfair district. Five block section where all those recent robberies have occurred? Yes, and two murders and five other disappearances. That's right, but the paper said every block is a private guard and the finest burglar alarms have been installed in all the houses. But Lamont, it's terrible people just disappearing into thin air without, without a trace, without any clue as to what's happened to them. Something awful must have happened to Edith. No ransom note? No, nothing. Police are there, of course. Oh, yes, swarming all over the house. Commissioner Weston himself is conducting the inquiry. Mrs. Day asked me to come over here and stay with her, but I, I want to talk to you first. Oh, poor Edith. Police must have searched the house, I suppose. Yes, we talked about him. She might have been carried across the rooftop. No, the door to the roof was bolted and locked on the inside. It's equipped with a burglar alarm, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You go ahead and console Mrs. Day, Margot. I was hoping you'd come with me. Not at the moment, Margot. But it's... It's a case for you as the shadow. Yes, Margo, the shadow will take a hand in this game of violence and death. Mrs. Dave, are you absolutely certain your daughter did not leave the house after midnight? Yes. Yes, Commissioner Weston, you asked me that before. Yes, I know. I'm sorry, but come in. Callahan, the watchman said, Commissioner. Oh, have him come in. Morning, Commissioner. Callahan, your report shows you tried all the doors of this house every hour on the hour last night. Uh, that's right. They were okay. They were all locked. And nobody could have opened a door or a window in this house without setting off the burglar alarm in your agency's central office? Yeah, yes, that's right, sir. And Miss Day must still be in this house. Sergeant. Yes, sir? Have your men made a complete search all through the house? Oh, yes, Commissioner, from top to bottom. But ain't the place we haven't looked for their buttons. I mean, where well, did oh, My poor baby. Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> Hello? Hello, Century Moving Company. This is Mrs. Claremont. I'm moving out of the Mayfair district. Yes, I want a van today. Yes, I'm moving to a hotel. I won't spend another night in this section. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Spence, but I'm giving notice. I've been your butler for ten years, but also the things that have happened in this case. Jake, about that Mayfair crime wave story, make it hot. Pour it into Commissioner Weston. Let's the unsolved crime. Soon on dead, six persons missing without a trace. Demand action. Results merit all of the front page. Go to town on it. Margot, what on earth are you doing here in the public library? I'm discovering things about this fair city of ours that I never knew before, Margot. I don't understand, Lamont. I'm trying to find Edith Day, Margot. It may seem a very roundabout way, but the police and the private detective agencies have proven the futility of direct methods. Then you have discovered something. Oh, Lamont, what is it? Why did you come here to the public library? Because I wanted to look up some old maps and records of the city. But why? What could that possibly have to do with Edith's disappearance? I'm not sure, Margot, but it may have everything to do with it. I'll show you something that may surprise you. Lamont, what are you driving at? That's just an old map. Exactly, Margot, an engineering map, a plan of the proposed water conduit. Surveyed and laid out in the year 1896. But Lamont... Wait, Margot, I'll explain. This plan calls for a 12-foot water main from the West Park Reservoir to the Central District, a distance of a mile and a half. Mm. Margot, one mile of that water conduit was built. Then the Spanish-American War came along and the project was abandoned. It was sealed up. It's all here in the old city records. In some way, the whole project became lost in the tangles of official red tape and forgotten. What are you driving at? I still can't see what this has to do with... I'll show you in just a minute. Yeah. 
Here's a rough sketch of the Mayfair district, Margot, on tissue paper. I've marked the location of every house in that district where a murder, robbery, or abduction has taken place in the last two months. Here. Place it over this old map. Now, look. See what happened? Why, Lamont, every one of those houses is located directly over that old abandoned water main. Yes, Margot, and unless I'm badly mistaken, that is the answer to the disappearance of Edith Day, and it'll lead us to the solution of this crime wave in the Mayfair district. Lamont, that water main must be way down underground. The police searched the basements of those houses. There'd have to be an entrance big enough for a man to get through. I believe there is, Margot. It's the only possible answer. In every one of these crimes, the story's been the same. No one was seen going into the houses. No one was seen going out. The burglar alarms were intact, yet people vanished. Oh, Only you're right. If there's still some chance Edith and those other poor people are still alive, down there in that abandoned hole in the earth. But who could do a thing like that, and why would they do it? Must be the work of a monster, Margot. They checked up on the things that were stolen, the other crimes. Richly upholstered furniture, tapestries, paintings. Never any money or jewelry. Things you would ordinarily expect a thief to take. Good heavens, Lamont. You think someone has taken those things down into that black hole? Yes, and he's taken something else that is doubly significant. Food. Storerooms have been stripped. Case after case of canned goods has been carried away, Margot. Food enough for a dozen people. And if more than anything else convinces me that the people who have vanished are still alive somewhere down there in a labyrinth of tunnels carved out of solid rock. Oh, Lamont, if only you're right. There's only some way we can get down there. I believe there is. I believe there is a way. A way the shadow can get down there with your help. I'll do anything. Anything. You know that, Lamont. Margot, I want you to go straight from here to Mrs. Day's. I want you to stay there tonight. But what about you? Where will you be? Can't I do something to help? Later, Margot, but don't worry. You walk through the door of the Day Mansion, the shadow will be with you. And I'm sure that somewhere the wall, the floor, the basement of that house will yield the answer to this ghastly riddle. <laughs> Something down there in the cellar. It's all of a tapping sound. Oh, don't go down there, Henry. Don't do it, I tell you. Henry, this house is giving me the pace. I won't work yet another day. I'm giving notice to Mrs. Day in the morning. She'll have to get another maid. Yes, you're right. I don't hear nothing now. Maybe it was just imagining things after what happened last night. I'm a butler, not a detective. Mrs. Day insists on staying in this house. I'm giving her service, too. Oh, shut the door, Henry. I can't stand to look to that door still. It's just... <laughs> It means me to have you stay here. All my friends want me to leave this house, but I can't. I can't. And the servants, they're afraid. I'm sure they'll leave tomorrow. I'm glad I could be with you, Mrs. Day. But now, don't think any more about it, please. Try, try to get some rest. You're exhausted. Well, I'll try, Margot, but I'm afraid I can't rest. All I can do is think or think of what's happened and what may be happening to Edith. Oh, my poor darling. Oh, it's so awful, Margot, not to know. What's that, Mrs. Day? Oh, the house phone in the hall, Margot. Will you answer? Yes, yes, I'll answer it right away. 
try to get some medicine today, please. Hello? Hello. Margo. Margo. Yes, I'm on. You come down to the basement immediately. Try to get here without being seen. The servants have gone to bed. Hurry. Hurry, Margo. It's Margo. Where are you? Right here, Margo. Be quiet as you can. I've turned on my flashlight. What have you found? I'm over here a minute. Look, that stone slab. Then you were right, Lamont. This is how Edith was carried away, down through that hole. But how in the world did you get the slab up? Uh, for quite a while, I found an iron bar. Be careful. Don't get too close to that hole, Margo. There's no telling how deep it is. Lamont, now, now what are we going to do? Have we better notify the police? No, Margo. Calling the police now might mean the death of every one of his victims, if they're still alive. But suppose whoever's doing this heard you tapping down here, heard you lifting the stone. Suppose he's waiting for you down there in the dark somewhere. Oh, I've got to risk that. Well, how will you get down? There's no ladder. There's a heavy clothesline in the laundry room. The other end of the cell I noticed it when I was examining the walls in there. I'll get it. All right, but I wish you had... Ladies and gentlemen, before the shadow's exciting adventure continues, I have a word about auto trip. Because there are so many motorists who risk life and limb without knowing it. Yes, the shadow knows. Many a motorist rushes through the rain, puts himself in real danger of skidding, spinning, swerving on wet roads, and stop quick, and stop short, and control his car. Many a motorist faces a death-dealing, accident-dealing blowout. Why should you risk your life through skid or blowout? When today, without paying a cent extra, you can get life-saving protection against both of these hazards. Yes, motorists, the new kind of tire. The new Goodrich Safety Silvertown with its lifesaver tread grips dry roads, dries wet roads, overcomes the hazard zone of motoring where a slippery film of water on the road and a complete control of your car almost impossible. This means that you stop quicker, safer than you've ever stopped before. And the exclusive Golden Fly gives you real protection against dangerous high-speed blowouts. The new Goodrich Silvertown is the safest thing on wheels. It's here to save your life. Yes, save your life at no extra cost. Don't forget, your car and everyone in it will be safer if you ride on Goodrich Safety Silvertown. You know what it means? The creeper is bringing you another victim to keep us company in this living tomb. There was only something we could do. We could only get these chains off. No, no, it's no use. We're helpless. Dr. Conrad, do you think there's any chance, any hope? We mustn't give up hope, Dick. Sooner or later, the police will trap the creeper, find the tunnel. Good police. Listen, all of you. Some of you have been here a day, a week, two weeks. I've been here two months. Nothing but that creeper and rats for company. Shamed like an animal half-starved. I thought the police would find me. I had hoped too, but now I know. We'll die here. We'll never get out, ever. Never, never get out. Never get out. You're fine, you're I can't stand anymore. I can't. I will. What difference does it make? Sooner or later, the creeper will kill us all. We'll never see the light of day again. Never. Never see them. Oh. oh, why did you hit him? He didn't know what he was saying. I had to. 
He's unconscious now, and it's better that way. Can't stand much more. Heaven help us if someone doesn't get us out of here soon. <laughs> now, so you'll find out how I catch all the fine, beautiful ladies and bring them down here. Wait, you don't have to put those chains on me. I won't try to get away. Nobody gets away. Nobody ever gets away. Nobody knows about this old tunnel. I found it long ago. How, how long have you lived down here? Who are you? Why have you crawled up into people's homes and dragged them down here? What have you done with them? You, you haven't killed them, have you? No. Only one. And because he wouldn't talk to me, always kept trying to get away. I killed him so he wouldn't run away. But then there was no one to talk to. I got lonely. That was long, long ago. But the others... I need to say, the girl you carried away last night, where are they? Oh, you'll see them real soon. <laughs> it's not far from here down the tunnel. A great wide place in the tunnel. It's like a big room. You, you shall see. Wait. Uh, let me rest here a minute, more, Then I'll go with you. No, 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 you don't. You, you come now. Let go. Let go of me. Let me tell you something. How do you know something else will find your hiding place just as I did? Hadn't you better go up and shout and blow that? Don't no, 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 you come now. You tried to trick me. I'll come back and fix that when I change you up with the rest of them. Maybe too late. Someone knows I'm here. He was in the basement when you pulled me down here. Well, let him come. I'm not afraid of any man. All men are afraid of me. <laughs> I make them afraid. I make them my slaves. They call me the creeper. Creeper. <laughs> The creeper, and all men fear you. Yes. Who was that? Who was that? I heard laughter. A voice. Yes, the laughter and voice of the shadow. But uh, there's no one here. I see no one, and yet I. Someone is here. Someone you can't see. Someone who's not afraid of you. You're hearing the shadow. Shadow. But shadows do not laugh. They do not speak. No. For years I have lived among shadows in the darkness. Your crimes have found you out, Creeper. The voice of a man. Why can't I see him? There's no place he can hide, not here. I am here, close to you, Creeper. Even by the yellow light of your lantern you cannot see me. Because I have the power to cast a shadow across your mind. A veil across your eyes. No! No! It's like a dream. Like the dreams I used to have when I lived down here alone. I... I used to pretend. I used to talk to people. Pretend they talked to me. No, Creeper. Those others who spoke to you were fantastic creatures of your imagination. I am here. Watch how close to you. <laughs> <laughs> See? I was close enough to snatch that chain from your hand and throw it away. Now... Now you are going to lead me to your other victims. Margo, get back. Get away from me. No, no. No, no, you, you keep away from me. Keep away or I'll kill you. Is that the gun you used to kill Haggerty, the night watchman, Creeper? Yes. Yes, he, he almost caught me. Yes. Yes, I killed him. I killed him. And I'll kill you. Why don't you try? Why don't you shoot, Creeper? Oh, if I can only see you, I... Uh, <laughs> No, no, no. No, that doesn't matter. There's a better way. I can see the girl. 
Keep away from me, Shadow. You keep away or I'll shoot you. I'll never have the chance. Let go of me. You'll never take me. Never. <laughs> Knocked him out, but not quite soon enough. Did he shoot you? Nothing, Lamont, nothing. Oh, it hit my shoulder. Only a flesh wound. I'll be all right. Why need to stay in the others, Lamont? Get him out of here. No, Margot, that can wait. I've got to stop this flow of blood. I'm all right. Let me get up. No, no, no. Don't try to get up. Let's go. As soon I get the hatch. Get in, Margot. Tight, tight. Best we can do it. I get you to the doctor there. Find some way of getting you back up that shaft. No, please, Lamont. It's only a flesh wound, I tell you. The bleeding's almost stopped. I'll, I'll be all right. Just leave me here and go help the others. Lamont! What? The creeper! The man still there! Yes? He's gone! You said good. Listen, I, I thought I'd knocked him out. You better go after him. Now they know someone found his hiding place. He'll kill Edith. He'll kill all the people he's got down here. I'm afraid you're right, Margo. I hate to leave you here like this. Lamont, go on, please. I'm all right. I'll try to find a way to get up the shop and notify the police. All right, Margot. You think you can? There's a ladder, but be careful. It's old and rotten, and some of the runs are gone. I'll get off. I'll get help, but it may be too late unless you can find the creeper and stop him from murdering those poor people. He's dragged down into this awful sea. I could only be sure which way he went. He's going to take me that way, down the tunnel. Hurry, Lamont. Hurry. Take the lantern. All right, Margot, but get out of here if you can. Notify the police. Tell them the creeper shot you. Tell them you saw him escape down here through the cellar, but don't come back down here, Margaret. There's no telling what may happen, what this fiend may do. Come. Help. The creeper's come back. Oh, yes. Something's happened this day. Maybe, maybe the police have found this horrible place at last. His face is bleeding. His eyes. I can get away from you. Why don't you 
follow me. Follow my voice. Oh, you're afraid, Shadow. You're running away. But you won't get far. You don't know this cover like I do. Then follow me. Follow my voice, Reaper. Follow my voice. I'm following you. You can't go much further. You've come the wrong way. Behind you is the end of the tunnel. The end of the tunnel. <laughs> and the end of you. Yes, this is the end of the tunnel. What are you waiting for, Creeper? Like the view. Now is your chance. Yes. Yes, you're right. Now. Now is my chance. Now. <laughs> you can't get away. Throw the dynamite. Throw it, Creeper. Can't you guess where I am by the sound of my voice? Yes! Yes! <laughs> You're caught! You're caught, Shadow! With you out of the way, no one else knows except that girl. And I killed her! She can't tell! And I'll be safe! I'll be safe! <laughs> Yes, Margot, I know. I've read the papers. They gave the shadow a very fine history, don't they? Oh, but Lamont, so what really happened? Well, when the police got there, Edith Day and Mr. Conrad and the others told them the shadow arrived just as the creeper was going to dynamite the place and kill them all. They said the shadow tricked the creeper into following him down the tunnel away from the others so they wouldn't be killed. And then there was an explosion. They said the creeper and the shadow were blown to pieces. Do I look blown to pieces, Margot? Oh, the old, old trick of voice projection, Margot. Ventriloquism. Easy in that tunnel. The creeper followed my voice, hurled the dynamite where he thought my voice was coming from. Ahead of him. All the time I was behind him. Far enough behind him to be safe. Oh, I'm glad. Oh, I'm so glad, Lamont. I was afraid that this time was true, that the shadow was dead. No, Margot. As Mark Twain once said, the report of my death has been grossly exaggerated. The shadow is still alive. Very much alive as the criminal world has discovered to its sorrow. You have been listening to a dramatized version of one of the many copyrighted stories which appear in the Shadow magazine. and all the places named are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you Suspense, 
Columbia's parade of outstanding thrillers, produced and directed by William Spear and scored by Bernard Herrmann. The notable melodramas from stage and screen, fiction and radio, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair, to keep you in suspense. Good evening. This is Orson Welles. And very happy I am to be back in the United States and back on the Columbia Network, even for so short a visit as this one. Back with old friends like Johnny Dietz, who's tonight's director, and Bernard Herman. The Mercury Theater presented tonight's radio play for the first time last year. We came right out then and hailed it as a classic of the medium. Nobody argued the point. A lot of people asked us to do it again, so it's gratifying to get the chance now and to find a favorite of ours in this distinguished anthology of spook shows. Personally, I've never met anybody who didn't like a good ghost story. But I know a lot of people who think there are a lot of people who don't like a good ghost story. For the benefit of these, at least, I go on record at the outset of this evening's entertainment with a sober assurance that although blood may be curdled on this program, none will be spilt. There's no shooting, knifing, throttling, axing, or poisoning here. No clanking chains, no cobwebs, no bony and or hairy hands appearing from secret panels or, better yet, bedroom curtains. If it's any part of that dear old phosphorescent foolishness that people who don't like ghost stories don't like, then again, I promise you, we haven't got it. Not tonight. What we do have is a thriller. It's half as good as we think it is. You can call it a shocker. It's already been called a real Orson Welles story. Now, frankly, I don't know what this means. I've been on the air directing and acting in my own shows for quite a while now, and I don't suppose I've done more than half a dozen thrillers in all that time. Honestly, I don't think even that many, but it seems I do have a reputation for the uncanny. Quite possibly, a little escapade of mine involving a couple of planets, which shall be nameless, is responsible. Doesn't really matter. Don't think I disapprove of thrillers. I don't. A story doesn't have to appeal to the heart. It can also appeal to the spine. Sometimes you want your heart to be warmed. Sometimes you want your spine to tingle. The tingling, it's to be hoped, will be quite audible as you listen tonight to The Hitchhiker. That's the name of our story. The Hitchhiker. Gallup, New Mexico. If I tell it, perhaps it'll help me. Keep me from going, going crazy. I gotta tell this quickly. I'm not crazy now. I feel perfectly well, except that I'm running a slight temperature. My name is Ronald Adams. I'm 36 years of age, unmarried, tall, dark, with a black mustache. I drive a 1940 Buick license number 6Y175189. I was born in Brooklyn. All this I know. I know that I'm at this moment perfectly sane. But it's not me who's gone mad. It's something else. Something utterly beyond my control. I'd love to speak quickly. At any minute, the link may break. This may be the last thing I ever tell on Earth. The last night I ever see the stars. 6 days ago I left Brooklyn to drive to California. Goodbye, son. 
Good luck to you, my boy. Goodbye, Mother. Here, give me a kiss. And I'll go. I'll come out with you to the car. Oh, no, it's raining. Stay here at the door. Oh. <laughs> What's this? Tears? I thought you promised me you wouldn't cry. Oh, I... I know, dear. I'm sorry. But I... I do hate to see you. Well, I'll be back. It'll only be the... on the coast three months. Oh, it isn't that. It's... it's just the trip. Ronald, I wish you weren't drowning. Oh, Mother, there you go again. People do it every day. I know, but... You'll be careful, won't you? Promise me you'll be extra careful. Don't fall asleep or drive fast or pick up any strangers on the road. Oh, gosh. I think I was still 17 here, you two. Oh. And why? I mean, as soon as you get to Hollywood. Won't you, son? Of course I will. Don't you worry. There's nothing going to happen. It's just eight days of perfectly simple driving on smooth, decent, civilized roads with a hot dog or a hamburger stand every ten Fine spirits. The drive ahead of me, even the loneliness, seemed like a lark. I reckoned without him. Crossing Brooklyn Bridge that morning in the rain, I saw a man leaning against the cables. He seemed to be waiting for a lift. There were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. He was carrying a cheap overnight bag in one hand. He was thin, nondescript, with a cap pulled down over his eyes. I would have forgotten him completely except that just an hour later, while crossing the Pulaski Skyway over the Jersey Flats, I saw him again. At least, he looked like the same person. He was standing now with one thumb pointing west. I couldn't figure out how he got there, but I thought probably one of those fast trucks had picked him up, beat me to the Skyway and let him off. I didn't stop for him. And late that night... I saw him again. It's on the new Pennsylvania turnpike between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. It's 265 miles long with a very high speed limit. I was just slowing down for one of the tunnels. And I saw him. Standing under an arc light by the side of the road. I seen quite distinctly the bag, the cap, even the spots of fresh rain. He hallooed at me. on the gas like a shot. That's lonely country to the Alleghenies, and I have no intention of stopping. Besides the coincidences or whatever it was, even the Willies. Stop at the next gas station. Yes, sir. Uh, fill her up. Certainly, sir. Check your oil, sir? No, thanks. It hasn't been raining here recently, has it? Not a drop of rain all week. Oh? Oh, I, I suppose that doesn't done your business any harm. Oh, people drive through here all kinds of weather. Mostly business, you know. There aren't many pleasure cars out on the turnpike this season of the year. I suppose not. What, uh... uh but what about hitchhikers? <laughs> hitchhikers here? What's the matter? Don't you ever see any? Not much. If we did, it'd be a sight for sore eyes. Why? 
Look, I'd be a fool who started out to hitch rides on this road. Look at it. Then, you've never seen anybody? No. Maybe they get the lift before the turnpike starts. I mean, you know, just before the toll house. But then it'd be a mighty long ride. Most cars wouldn't want to pick up a guy for that long a ride. And you know, this is pretty lonesome country here. Mountains and woods. You ain't seen anybody like that, have you? Uh, no. Oh, no, not, not at all. It's just uh, a technical question. I <laughs> see. Well, that'll be just a dollar forty-nine with the tax. Gradually passed through my mind a sheer coincidence. I had a good night's sleep in Pittsburgh. I didn't think about the man all next day until... until just outside of Zanesville, Ohio, I saw him again. It's a bright, sunshiny afternoon. The peaceful Ohio fields, brown with the autumn stubble, lay greening in the golden light. I was driving slowly, drinking it in, when the road suddenly ended in a detour in front of the barrier. He was standing... Let me explain about his appearance before I go on. I repeat, there was nothing sinister about him. He was as drab as a mud fence. There was his attitude menacing. He merely stood there, waiting, almost drooping a little, with a cheap overnight bag in his hand. He looked as though he'd been waiting there for hours. And he looked up. He hailed me. He started to walk forward. Hello! Hello? Hello? No, not just now. Sorry. Hello in California? No, not today. The other way. Going to New York. Sorry. After I got the car back on the road again, I felt like a fool. Yet the thought of picking him up, of having him sit beside me, was somehow unbearable. Same time, I felt more than ever, unspeakably alone. Hour after hour went by. Fields, the towns ticked off one by one. The light changed. I knew now that I was going to see him again. And though I dreaded the sight, I caught myself searching the side of the road, waiting for him to appear. Sandwiches and pop here, don't you? Yeah, we do in the daytime. We're closed up now for the I night. know, but I was wondering if you could possibly have a cup of coffee, black coffee. Just No, not this coffee, no. mister. My wife's a cook. She's a bad. Uh, don't shut the door, please. Listen, just a minute ago. Uh, just a minute ago, there was a man standing here, right beside the stand, a suspicious looking man. I I don't mean to disturb it. And you see, I was driving along when I just happened to look, and there he was. How was he doing? Well, nothing. You've been taking a nip, that's what you've been doing. Now, on your way before I call our sheriff, folks. I got into the car again and drove on slowly. It's getting to hate the car. If I could have found a place to stop, to rest a little. I was in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri now. A few resort places that were closed, only an occasional log cabin. 
seemingly deserted. That's all that broke the monotony of the wild, wooded landscape. And I had seen him at that roadside stand. I knew I'd see him again. Maybe at the next turn of the road. I knew that when I saw him next, I would run him down. next afternoon. I stopped a car at a sleepy little junction just across the border into Oklahoma to let a train pass by. When he appeared across the tracks, leaning against a telephone pole. Perfectly airless, dry day. The red clay of Oklahoma was baking under the southwestern sun. Yet there were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. I couldn't stand that. Without thinking, blindly, I started the car across the tracks. He didn't look up at me. He was staring at the ground. I stepped on the gas. I turned the wheel sharply toward him. I could hear the train in the distance now, but I didn't care. Then I went along the car. The train was coming closer. I could hear the bell ringing and the crowd was whistling. Still, he stood there. And now I knew that he was beckoning, beckoning me to my death. places faster than, say, another person in another car, couldn't you? I don't get you. Well, take me, for instance. Suppose I'm I'm driving across the country, say, at a nice steady clip about 45 miles an hour. Uh, couldn't, couldn't a girl like you just standing beside the road waiting for Liz beat me to town, or any town, provided she got picked up every time in a car doing from 65 to 70 miles an hour? I don't know. What difference does it make? Oh, no difference. It's just a crazy idea I have sitting here in the car. <laughs> Imagine spending your time in a swell car thinking of things like that. What would you do instead? What would I do? If I was a good-looking fellow like yourself? Why, I just enjoy myself every minute of the time. I'd sit back and, and relax. But if I saw a good-looking girl along the side of the road... Oh, look out! Did you see that? 
inside the barbed wire fence. I didn't see anybody. I it wasn't nothing but a bunch of cows and and a wire fence. No. What do you think he was doing? Trying to run into the barbed wire fence. There, I tell you, a thin gray man with an overnight bag in his hand. Well, I, I was trying to run him down. Run him down? Kill him? Say so you didn't see him, Baxter. You sure? I didn't see a soul. As far as watch I can for him the next time and keep watching. Keep your eyes peeled on the road. He'll turn up again. Maybe in a minute. There! Look there! How does this door work? I, I'm getting out of here. Did you see him that time? No, I didn't see him that time. And personally, mister, I don't expect never to see him. All I want to do is go on living. I don't see how I will very long driving with you. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't... I... I don't know what came over me, but please don't go. So if you'll excuse me... You can't go. Listen, how would you like to go to California? I'll drive you to California. Seeing pink elephants all the way? No, thanks. Uh-uh, thanks just the same. Listen, please, just, just one minute, please. You know what I think you need, big boy? Not a girlfriend. Just a good dose of sleep. Please. There, I got it now. Now you can't go, please. Get your hands off me. Do you hear me? your hands off She ran from me. As though I were a monster. Two minutes later, I saw a passing truck pick her up. I knew then that I was utterly alone. It was in the heart of the great Texas prairies. There wasn't a car on the road after the truck went by. I tried to figure out what to do, how to get hold of myself. I could find a place to rest, or even if I could sleep right here in the car for a few hours along the side of the road. I was getting my winter overcoat out of the back seat to use as a blanket when I saw him coming toward me, emerging from the herd of moving steer. Hello! Maybe I should have spoken to him then. Thought it out then and there. For now, he began to be everywhere. Whenever I stopped, even for a moment, for gas, for oil, for a drink of pop, a cup of coffee, sandwich, he was there. I saw him standing outside the auto camp in Amarillo that night when I dared to slow down. Just sitting near the drinking fountain, a little camping spot just inside the border of New Mexico. He was waiting for me outside the Navajo Reservation where I stopped to check my tires. I saw him in Albuquerque when I bought 20 gallons of gas. I was... I was afraid to stop him. I began to drive faster and faster. I was... in... in lunar landscape now. The great arid Mesa country of New Mexico. I drove through it with the indifference of a fly crawling over the face of the moon. Now he didn't even wait for me to stop. Unless I drove at 85 miles an hour over those endless roads, he waited for me at every other mile. I'd see his figure, shadowless, flitting before me, still in the same attitude, over the cold, lifeless ground, flitting over dried-up rivers, of broken stones cast up by old glacial upheavals, flitting in that pure and cloudless air. I was beside myself when I finally reached Gallup, New Mexico this morning. 
There's an auto camp here. Cold, almost deserted this time of year. I went inside and asked if there was a telephone. I had the feeling that if only I could speak to someone familiar, someone I loved, I could pull myself together. Your call, please. Long distance. Long distance, certainly. This is long distance. I'd like to, uh, <laughs> I'd like to put a, in a call to my home in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Ronald Adams. I'm, uh, the, the number is Beachwood 200828. Certainly. I will try to get it for you. Albuquerque. New York for Gallup. New York. Gallup, New Mexico, calling Beachwood 20828. I read somewhere that love could vanish demons. It's the middle of the morning. I knew Mother would be home. I pictured her tall and white haired in her crisp house dress, going about her tasks. Be enough, I thought. Just to hear the even calmness of her voice. Will you please deposit $3.85 for the first three minutes? When you have deposited a dollar and a half, will you wait until I have collected the money? All right, deposit another dollar and a half. Will you please deposit the remaining 85 cents? Ready with Brooklyn. Go ahead, please. Hello? Hello? Mrs. Adams' residence. Hello, hello, Mother. This is Mrs. Adams' residence. Who is it you wish to speak to, please? What? Oh, who is this? This is Mrs. Winnie. Mrs. Winnie? I, I don't know any Mrs. Winnie. Is this Beachwood 208828? Yes. Uh, well, where's my mother? Where's Mrs. Adams? Mrs. Adams is not at home. She's still in the hospital. The hospital? Yes. Who is this calling, please? Is it a member of the family? Well, what's she in the hospital for? She's been prostrated for five days. Nervous breakdown. But who is Nervous calling? breakdown? Well, my grandmother never was nervous. It's all taken place since the death of her oldest son, Ronald. Death of her... Death of her oldest son, Ronald? Hey, what's this? What number is this? This is Beechwood 20828. It's all been very sudden. He was killed just six days ago in an automobile accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. And so... So I'm sitting here in this deserted auto camp in 
Yellow, New Mexico. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to get hold of myself. Otherwise, I... I'm going to go crazy. Outside, it's night. The vast, soulless night of New Mexico. A million stars are in the sky. Ahead of me stretch a thousand miles of empty mesa. Mountains. Prairies. Desert. Somewhere among them, he's waiting for me. Somewhere I shall know who he is and who I am. So ends The Hitchhiker. And to Orson Welles, our considerable thanks for his playing of the title role. Mr. Welles, help wanted. Men, women, and children. Nature of work, hard, monotonous, back-breaking labor. Hours, 75 a week minimum. Pay, few cents an hour. Added inducement. Two meals a day, including several ounces of bad bread and a cup of thin soup. Don't delay. Apply at once. How'd you respond to a want ad like that, Mr. and Mrs. American working man and woman? You'd laugh, wouldn't you, and throw the paper in the trash basket. Dismiss the whole advertisement as some kind of a joke. But believe me, it's no joke. It's a simple statement of the working conditions that exist today in Nazi Germany and the conquered countries under Nazi rule. It's also an exact statement of the working conditions that will be imposed on you and every member of your family if the Nazis win this war. You yourself personally can stop them from winning, as you know. You don't have to give up your well-paid job to do it. You needn't have to be a soldier or a sailor or an airman or a nurse or a war worker to ensure American victory. Uncle Sam doesn't ask plain, ordinary, hard-working citizens like you to give him anything. All he asks, all this he does ask very seriously and very urgently, is that you loan him ten cents out of every dollar you make. That's all there is to it. Lend Uncle Sam a dime to win this war, and he'll pay you back with interest when he's won it. The easiest, most convenient way to lend him these dimes is to enroll in the payroll savings plan. Just tell your boss to deduct ten cents from every dollar he pays you and lend it to Uncle Sam in your name. Sign up for this simple savings plan today, and when victory comes, you'll have war bonds in your pockets instead of Axis bonds on your wrists. Suspense will be heard again two weeks from tonight. Next Wednesday night, September 9th, the Columbia Broadcasting System will present over many of these stations at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Wartime an address by W. Averill Harriman, United States Land Lease Administrator in London. Mr. Harriman, as the personal representative of the President of the United States, attended the Moscow conferences between Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin. Next Wednesday's broadcast will be Mr. Harriman's first public address since his return to this country. Suspense. <laughs> is produced and directed by William Spear. John Dietz was our guest director this evening. Tonight's radio drama was written by Lucille Fletcher. The original score was by Bernard Herrmann.
Well guys, that does it for Mr. Orson Welles and his performance on the show for tonight. If you like the show, please comment and subscribe. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify, Google, Apple, CastBox, or wherever else you get your podcast. Just type in Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. And it should pull my podcast right up. Also guys, just to let you know, please join me tomorrow night as I bring to the show Mr. Jack Benny in two episodes guaranteed to tickle our funny bones. And join me this coming Tuesday night as I bring to the show Miss Elsbeth Eric in two episodes guaranteed to chill our spines. And stay tuned for the coming weeks as it brings such stars as Bob Hope, Joseph Kearns, Abbott and Costello, and many others. And once again, guys, always remember to enjoy the show. Have a great night. Thanks. <laughs>